This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 45, Princess Ronkonkoma. And hello, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Vierla, your Imperial host. And thanks for being here. Today, I thought I'd do something a little different for you. Normally, I bring you a historical or factual story. But today, I thought it might be fun to share with you a legend. Now, the bones of this legend may have been true. They may not have been true. But one thing is certain, that this is an incredible story. So today, I'll tell you the legend of the Lady of Lake Ronkonkoma, a tale of unrequited love and supernatural vengeance. Here's what I know. Now, there are many variations of this story, and I'll be taking some creative license and cobbling several of them together for you, and then discuss some of the details. So to lay a little groundwork first, this story of the Lady of Lake Ronkonkoma is about a Native American princess's death in the lake that bears her name, Lake Ronkonkoma, which is Long Island, New York's biggest freshwater lake, and is also one of its most mysterious and deadly. This lake is about 100 feet deep and is 243 acres in size. That's about 983,000 square meters. So for some comparison, a football field is about 1.32 acres, so this lake is pretty large. And that's an American football field, not soccer. The story of Princess Ronkonkoma, though, takes place about 400 years ago in the 1600s on Long Island in the Setuket tribe's territory. The tribe made its home on the North Shore and was one of the many native peoples who spoke the Algonquin languages. Let me take you way back. Welcome. Europeans have only recently established a foothold in the New World, and as a result, their presence was a source of much apprehension and curiosity to the Native Americans. Of interest to the English was establishing more permanent colonies in the Americas, and the area of what we know as New York today was prime real estate as it is today. A young settler named Hugh Birdsaw made his home near the headwaters of the Connecticut River, one of the four largest rivers on Long Island. The Great River was renowned to inhabitants of the area for its bountiful fishing grounds. Hugh's modest log cabin was located about two miles from Lake Ronkonkoma, and he made his living as a woodcutter felling large trees in the old growth forests of Long Island. He spent many long hours in the marshes and swamps surrounding Lake Ronkonkoma, looking for the best quality poplars, red maples, and black tupelo for use in establishing a stronger English foothold in the Americas. On a particularly sunny and warm day, the daughter of the local Setakut leader was out foraging near the shores of the lake, the same lake that she was named after, Ronkonkoma. 
Now, Princess Ronkonkoma may have been foraging for a midday snack, looking for food to bring back to her village, or she may have been looking for tribute to pay to one of the surrounding stronger tribes that demanded it of Long Island natives to avoid attacks. No matter her reason, she was out and about. From the shores, she heard a distinctive echoing in the forest, the firm, steady chopping sound of an axe striking against a wood. Funny, she thought. She didn't know of anyone from her village tasked with cutting down any trees, so she thought she would investigate the source of the noise. Well, after a brief trek through the woods, she discovered the source of the noise, a strangely dressed white man hacking away on a large tree. She had never seen such an oddity before and decided to just sit back and observe him. Hugh Birdsall, unaware of his visitor, continued chopping away working hard. He would pause and take a break, stretching his sore muscles before continuing his activity. This quirky man has a humorous way about him, thought Princess Ronkakuma. She let out a soft giggle before covering her face to prevent the sound from carrying. However, the cute laughter managed to fall upon the ears of Hugh. Upon hearing this, a surprised Hugh quickly turned to identify the source of the noise. He noticed movement from behind a tree and demanded the intruder to show themselves. <gasps> Frightened, Princess Ronkonkoma turned away and darted back through the woods, but in her haste, her decorative beaded bracelet snagged on a branch and snapped off. Hugh took a few short steps in a mock indication of giving chase, but he decided better against that as he was alone and did not know who was watching him. He looked around where Princess Ronkonkoma had been and noticed a delicate bracelet. Finding the craftsmanship to be beautiful, he picked it up and put it in his pocket and decided to call it a day and headed home. Well, Princess Ronkonkoma sprinted back home and told her father of the strange white man in the forest chopping trees. And with her youthful naivete and idealism, asked her father if she could invite the young man to their village for a welcoming feast. Now, her father, perhaps, with all his aged wisdom and cynicism, was somewhat less open to that idea. Expressing his concern for the stranger and white men in general, as he had heard the stories of these Europeans starting to cohabitate the lands, but never did he think there would be one in such close proximity to his village. He forbade his daughter from contacting the stranger and, as parents tend to do, did so without explanation and maybe a tinge of fatherly anger concern. Well, as you can imagine, a teenage girl being told by her father not to do something was exactly the opposite thing Princess Ronkonkoma wanted to hear. In fact, can you believe? It had the opposite effect than was intended. The princess over the course of the next few weeks managed to sneak into the forest and located the Englishman via the sounds of his axe chopping. With the lawyerly expertise of a seasoned courtroom pro, she defied her father's wishes without violating his terms of never contacting the stranger. You see, the princess merely observed from a distance, never engaging in contacting Hugh. And as many a young teenage girls rebelling against their fathers, her admiration for the bad boy manifested itself into daydreams. Fantasies just as home then as they are today in any teenage girl's room drooling over Justin Bieber posters. They progressed from fascination to crush status quickly. This fellow, he is intriguing, she thought to herself. He has a very good work ethic. It is no easy task to cut down a tree by yourself. 
My, isn't he in good shape, too. His features, though exotic, have a certain chiseled ruggedness to them. Well, she kept this up for about a month. Each week, she would grow a little bolder, a little braver, and inch a few feet closer each time she observed Hugh in the woods. She eventually started bringing some of her girlfriends with her to observe the handsome stranger firsthand. A bit for gossip, but I think more to reinforce her infatuation and to gain their approval. And boy, did they approve too. A hot foreigner in their woods? Wouldn't it be just dreamy to bring him to the fall festival? Now Hugh, our rugged woodsman, was an observant bloke. And you have to be as a stranger in a new world. He wasn't a dummy, and over the weeks became aware of his growing band of oglers. And like any young men receiving attention from the fairer sex, he played it up, peacocking it, so to speak. A bigger swing of the axe here, a well-thought-out pose there. His best move was lifting up his shirt to wipe away the sweat from his brow, exposing his lumberjacked abs. This was Princess Ronkonkoma's favorite move, too, and her friend's. Well, after about a month, Hugh got tired of pretending he was unaware of his audience. And while being alone in the woods and wanting some actual company and human engagement other than the occasional squirrel, he thought he would reach out. He yelled out into the woods, Hey! Hello! He peered his head through the trees trying to establish eye contact. Well, as he did this, he must have startled the group of girls watching him. And they sheepishly ran off giggling. But Princess Ronkonkoma lingered a bit and noticed Hugh waving. And in his hand, the familiar look of her beaded bracelet. She stopped. Her friends implored her to keep up with them as they ran back to the village. You see, while they admired the white man from afar, they were scared of the stranger. Not knowing his customs or tongue was intimidating, but also a bit of a thrill, to be honest. Is this yours? asked Hugh to a courageous young Princess Ronkonkoma. Her heart pounded as the stranger stepped closer. Surely this man means no ill intent as he is offering me a piece of my lost jewelry. Hugh asked again, Is this yours? Not knowing what he was saying, the princess just looked up at him and nodded. Hugh of course smiled and placed the bracelet in her hand and awkwardly tried to speak to the young Native American princess. She was breathtaking, beautiful brown eyes and long dark hair. She was clearly to Hugh's liking, exotic to him and seemingly the opposite of him in every way. Her shiny jet black hair, dark complexion and alluring appearance sent Hugh's butterflies bouncing off his stomach. If he had a dating app, his fingers would be swiping right. To say they were instantly smitten with each other would be an understatement. Their first lock of eyes forged an amorous bond so energetic that if it were night, I'm sure the bear by the village would have seen fireworks in the sky. Well, over the next few months, the two continued to see each other, always in the woods and getting to know each other as best as two love-struck individuals can with a language barrier. Although there is no doubt one way of speaking that transcends language by not speaking at all. Wink wink. Now, it didn't take long before Princess Ronkonkoma's rendezvous started to become quite the whisper of the village. How, you ask? Well, her teenage girlfriends. Either through love of gossip or jealousy, the proverbial cat was out of the bag. 
One girl talks to another girl and they tell another person and then they tell two people and so on and so on. Well eventually the talk of the village made its way to the ears of the chief, Ronkonkoma's father. And boy was he furious. He did not appreciate his young daughter getting her groove on or perceived groove on with this English woodsman. Now the two hadn't actually Netflixed and or chilled at this time, but her father called her behind closed doors for a sound addressing. There was no telling just what was exchanged between Ronkonkoma and her father in the wigwam that night, but angsty teenage protests and cries of how could you's surely were flung at each other. To be certain though, Princess Ronkonkoma's father made what some may call an overreacting decision, and that decision was to only allow his daughter to leave the village at night, a time when the woodsman was surely to be sound asleep. Well, this worked for about a week. You see, what the chief failed to take into account was the craftiness of teenage girls. The princess had friends, and she had tasked one of her friends to send a note on a piece of bark she had written in very broken and blunt English to Hugh's cabin. She had learned a few words from the woodsman and was able to communicate a time and place to meet her which roughly said Lake Ronkonkoma, far shore, at midnight. Well, when the woodsman received this note, he was ecstatic. He had thought the lovely princess had suddenly lost interest in him. But this note, he figured, proved she was still into him. So, he got himself dappered up, combed his hair, washed his face, you know, the typical pre-date grooming ritual. Then at midnight, Hugh went to the far shore of the lake and waited for his love. He didn't have to wait long until she showed up. Their hearts were fulfilled and in their overwhelming sensation of said love, and perhaps as a bit of an act of defiance to her father, they consummated their forbidden love on the far shore of Lake Ronkonkoma. They continued meeting this way every night for five years, secretly meeting each other at midnight on the far side of the shore directly across from Ronkonkoma's village. That is, until one day her father caught wind of this defiant relationship. Well, he had had it, and as his daughter was now much older, he arranged for her to be married to a man in hopes this would finally end the taboo affair. He also put his daughter under close surveillance and, in doing so, she could no longer go to the far shore of the lake, so she had to settle for only being allowed to row no further than the center of the lake. On the first night of her imposed restriction, Hugh waited for his love as he always did on the far side of the lake, but Ronkonkoma did not show. He wondered if she was sick or had been found out. Well, after waiting for about an hour, he almost gave up hope and went home when he noticed a figure in the middle of the lake. He could tell right away this lone figure in a canoe was none other than his love. The princess knew she could no longer go to the far shore as the middle of the lake was her boundary. She had prepared though and placed into the water a note she wrote on a small toy boat made from a piece of bark and floated it the rest of the way to her lover on the shore explaining the terrible situation. This continued every night for about two more years. Letters of sorrow were passed to Hugh via this method until one night the princess snapped. 
And some say the burden of her grief on top of being married to a man she did not love was compounded by the fundamental force of life called Manitou, which was strong in the lake. Think of the spiritual energy like the force. A sacred principle of her people was said to be the great spirit, and as a consequence of her violating her father's wishes for so long, it drove her mad. And while her lover watched on the far side of the lake, she took a knife and plunged it into her heart in the middle of that lake. Well, the canoe she was in eventually made its way to the far side of the shore where a heartbroken Hugh held his lover's body and howled his grief into the night until morning. Now, some say Hugh also killed himself in grief. Some say he moved back to England and started a family. But no matter what became of Hugh, one thing was certain. The spirit of Princess Ronkonkoma was fused with the lake she was named after. And it is said her lonely sad spirit is in an internal search for companionship. And so every year, the spirit of Princess Ronkonkoma takes the life of at least one young male in hopes to find her soulmate. So let me bring you back to modern times, or, you know, give you some more stats. So since 1893, when official death records started being kept, more than 166 men have died in Lake Ronkonkoma. And so the legend continues. And that's the tale of Princess Ronkonkoma, the Lady of the Lake, and now you know what I know. Now, this story is an intriguing part of Long Island lore, and while I did take liberties to embellish the story in parts, the fact that this legend has resonated for so many years is remarkable. Add on top of that the fact that the lake has such a persistent and numerically odd stats regarding male drownings for a lake of its size. Now, I did happen to interview a lady who had her own encounter with the Lady of the Lake, and I was hoping to share that interview with you. But it was unfortunately not recorded. My bad, guys. I may get an opportunity to re-interview her at some time, so I'll just have to withhold that part of the story for another time. But here is something I will never withhold. A haiku! <laughs> Princess of the Lake you don't have to be lonely. Ghostsonly.com And that's all for this time, guys. Check out our main site for other incredible stories at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com Send me an email, suggestion, or haiku at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh, and remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. 